0: Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. This is episode 52. Excuse my slightly nasally voice. I have a little bit of a cold, but I am almost better. So uh, thank you for everybody who entered the giveaway to win Max Lucado book. I'm going to draw that in the uh, middle of this podcast. You're going to hear who won those two books. Thank you to Max Lucado for joining me on the show last week and for everybody who listened and shared. It's been really uh, exciting hearing all of the feedback on that friends uh it's been a heavy week for a lot of people jared wilson who has been an incredible uh, advocate and voice in the evangelical church for mental health awareness and suicide prevention uh, took his own life earlier this week and it's been really really hard for the whole community uh, let, let alone the reality uh that his, his wife and kids are now facing in, in the church where he served. I wrote a memorial for Jared and uh, and how it plays into our, our wider culture, and I'm going to play that for you here at the, just at the start of this episode. I normally don't do things like this, but I think it's important to hold space for those who are grieving, and so we're going to do that before we get into this week's episode, which is a totally different tone is really joyous and and uplifting so hopefully that's an emotional journey that you can tolerate with me we talk all about raising kids who are jesus-centered and how to be jesus-centered parents with natalie frisk who is just an incredible woman and mother and author and pastor and many things so uh, anyway here's my reflection on jared and his life I spent the morning tidying my house, crying my eyes out, and singing the common doxology at the top of my lungs. Jared Wilson committed suicide. Another husband, parent, friend, pastor, and author lost to us all. I'd never met Jared, but I followed him on Twitter and I was encouraged and enriched by his life and his message. I'd long wanted to have him as a guest on my show and to share his story with others, but now I can't, and I feel disappointed and I feel ashamed, since I'm hardly the one who's experienced the loss here. The last time this happened, we all poured out our sympathy and our grief, and we talked about the importance of mental health awareness and of reaching out to our friends. All of that conversation feels a little bit hollow now, though, in the case of Jared, who was one of the evangelical world's most outspoken advocates for mental health awareness, and who was a support to countless people uh, battling suicidal thoughts. He had tweeted messages of support And the importance of connection the very same day. And so we're shocked. We can't believe it. It's unreal. But it's very real. Perhaps we're already starting to get numb to the reality of it. Perhaps the rising tide of pastoral suicide is nibbling at the edges of our hope. No, we must have hope, we say. Why didn't Jared reach out? Surely he knew the warning signs, and there's anger and there's confusion. But Jared did know the warning signs, and he did reach out to his friend, Adam Weber, who prayed for him the same evening. And so we're horrified, and we're confused, and we wonder, how can Adam possibly move on without being crushed by guilt and despair? In his own words, Adam says, I wish I would have pressed you harder and asked more questions. You knew all the right things to do around depression, yet I wish I would have told you you couldn't handle it. More than anything, I wish I would have called you more. And so we sit in silence, our throats choked by grief, and our minds not able to find any words that seem to fit. And we think of Julie and the children. And we donate to the GoFundMe. And we read Adam's other words. It's not your fault. My first funeral, I was a 24-year-old pastor, was a young dad who took his life hours after I met with him. I rethought every single word. I had nightmares for months. I wanted to quit being a pastor. If someone you love has taken their life, it's not on you. And that's true. So maybe we talk about pastoral expectations and the megachurch system and, and how it dehumanizes the very people it puts on stage. Pastor Andrew Stockland committed suicide soon after returning from sabbatical, right? And Jared Wilson hadn't been a harvest for long. Maybe Lowry put too much pressure on it. Adam Weber said he conducted a funeral for a father when he was only 24 years old. Maybe we would read the words of David Fitch, who wrote this morning, I believe we need to look at how the American pastorate isolates an individual unto him or herself, places incredible expectations on them, and creates a front which is almost impossible to escape, even if you talk about it regularly. If your belief system depends on you personally believing and experiencing a set of beliefs about God or salvation, etc., as opposed to being part of a mutual network, a sustained way of life, you're inevitably going to have doubts and deep identity struggles. You feel like the rug is pulled out from beneath you into a sinkhole of deep despair, all in front of the gaze of a group of people. If your whole front depends upon keeping this belief system intact, your whole identity is threatened regularly by doubt and despair. You have no space to process. It's a sinkhole. I believe this way, this way that the American megachurch pastor shapes one's psycho subjectivity, not just for those who are successful in it, but for all those who seek it as a measure of what it means to be a pastor. It's a danger. It's dangerous to the mental health of the average human. Which I think is true, but we already knew this, didn't we? If trusted leaders like Hybels and McDonald can't exist in that framework, without falling to depravity. And we start to consider perhaps the ancient wisdom of tearing our clothes and putting ashes upon our heads because it's all just too much. And then maybe in our cynicism, we think about the fact that the suicide rate is vastly higher among men than women. And maybe if we wanted to balance out the suicide rate, we should just let women preach and teach in churches after all. But then maybe we remember the conversation we had with our girlfriend when we were both 16 and she had been cutting herself and said the only reason she hadn't killed herself yet was because she didn't want to go to hell. And we'd never heard that theology before, and so we told her Jesus didn't care how someone died. He just loved them. And she freaked out and told you not to say that, since fear of hell was the only thing keeping her alive. And so we sit in silence, accompanied by shock and grief and horror and rage, and confusion, and cynicism, and oh God, no, 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 no. And so we cry, and so we breathe. And so we hold space for those who have lost their other half, for those who have lost their fathers and their mothers, for those who have lost their future and their hope. And we sit in silence, and we hold space for ourselves for the nights when we too have nursed dark thoughts and considered. And in that sacred holy space, we might find Jesus sitting beside us, accompanying us, holding space with us, holding silence, holding our hands in his hands, the same hands that he allowed us to pierce so that we would know he would never lift a hand against us the same hands that bring vision to blind eyes and lift naked women out of the dust and raise dead girls and dead friends to life. And we remember resurrection. And we remember that morning comes after morning, And we remember that he holds within his own being the going lives of those who are not with us here anymore, that he holds Jared Wilson and Andrew Stockland and Matthew Warren and Eugene Peterson, and Rachel Held Evans, and your great-grandmother, and at least one thief. And we might hear him say, I have placed before you life and death. And we might even hear him say, choose life. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Today, my guest on the show is the curriculum pastor at The Meeting House, one of Canada's largest and most influential churches. Natalie Frisk is her name. Uh, Thanks for being on the show, Natalie. Thank you so much for having me, Jonathan.
1: I'm really excited to be doing this with you.
0: This is super fun. Like, we've been kind of following each other on Twitter for a year, more, two years, I don't know. So Natalie sent me a a draft of a piece that she'd written uh, for a, a blog... And you're like, hey, any chance you'd possibly be willing to like proof this for me? And I'm kind of like, oh, my gosh, someone asked my opinion.
1: <laughs> someone who I respect. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes it's hard to find somebody who kind of gets the same stuff that you're working on hmm. and so can you know, give a lens that's maybe different from somebody who's doing a different type of ministry or working in a different sphere. It was good to like be able to say, okay, Jonathan gets kids and that's kind of the framework and lens that I want to put onto this. So I was really happy to have your input. Yeah,
0: oh, That's good. It's funny. It's like I try to draw as many different voices as I can into this podcast and bring in different streams. But when you have someone who you're kind of on the same page with, it's different and things flow and it's like family and
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. It's true. Yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> so that piece that you wrote was for uh renew.org, um, mm-hmm. which is the the blog where Greg Boyd lives and various other other people. Um, mm-hmm. which I really really enjoyed what you what you had to say. Um Thank you. S- talk to me. Where that yeah, it was on discipleship kind of raising your own kids, discipleship at home.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um where did that come from and uh, what's what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, it came from a, a few different places. Um, I'm the curriculum pastor, so I oversee the content development for kids from basically from birth until the end of high school um, at the meeting house. So that's what I, I focus in on. And, you know, through all of that time, you can say, hey, we get... Whatever it may be, if you have kids that are regular attenders, you get 52 weeks a year. Well, maybe they take vacation. You get 48 weeks a year, <laughs> maybe an hour's worth of content, maybe. Um, you know, if you have a midweek thing going on, either way, it's less than 100 hours a year that um, in church ministry that we're actually connecting in well with our kids and our youth. But parents have heaps of time um, if you're a parent, you wouldn't say you have fun, but (laughs) um, a lot of interactivity with your kids, you make decisions for your kids as they grow up, um, about what, you know, what, what activities they're going to go into just the sheer way of how we live, um, within our houses and in our communities. And, the way we live personally, our our kids see that that's, that's all some sort of discipleship that is Mm -hmm. us discipling our kids. And we can disciple our kids into the way of, um, being Dungeons and Dragons fans. Um, which you know, my husband does, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, or we can, you know, disciple our kids into the way of simplicity you know, or, you know, choose your own adventure. You can disciple your kids into anything. Hmm. Um, and so as I think about that, my own life, uh, I have a daughter, she's almost eight, eight years old. And, you know, she's getting to that zone of activities are of interest to her. Um, You know, and we're trying to also make space in her life for her to just breathe, which I think is really important for kids. And so from that place and then at the same time, um, you know, I've read a number of different writers and thinkers um, recently who have talked about um, deconstruction and wanting to really um, almost like save their kids from um, some of the tricky or tumultuous theological pits that they fell into as kids, um, and have had to work out of in their adult years. And I think that that's good. I think that that is, um, beneficial to think through. Um, but I also think that no matter what, (laughs) no matter what we do as parents, I mean, quite frankly, you could have the best parent in the world and you're still going to end up in counseling because you need to work stuff through. Mm. (laughs) Um, And, and, and part of the way um, developmentally that we actually make something our own is experience some type of wrestling with it in order to make it our own. So that includes our, our walk with Jesus. And so the really long answer to your question, Jonathan, is all of those places kind of um, jumbled together, um, kind of produced that, that article that we really are all discipling our kids into something. And we need to think and be really intentional about what that thing is that we're discipling our kids into. Yeah. And to be honest with you, um, I've written a book <laughs> uh, that um, a couple of the lines in that blog posts were kind of a line or two was ripped out of the book so that I could really expand on it in a different way. And so I have a book coming out in September called Raising Disciples, cool. how to make Faith matter for our kids. And so um, that is something that I look forward to being released to the world. And um, yeah, I'm excited about it.
0: That's excellent. One of the things I really enjoyed about your post was was this idea that, you know, if even if you're not trying to do anything, you are discipling your children into whatever your values are. Absolutely. If you are a vegetarian, if you mm-hmm. are a sports enthusiast, if mm-hmm. you know whatever your jam is, yeah, uh, your kids are getting raised up in that value set. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's the the intentionality that as as parents can be can be so terrifying when I think about if I'm not intentionally steering this ship, mm-hmm. then at the very least I'm probably raising my kids in some kind of Canadian version of capitalism.
1: <laughs> yep.
0: Kind of a centrist political mm-hmm. perspective, um, as minimum impairment, just tr- gentle things and try not to rock the boat. But does that mm-hmm. tell them then that they can't have any strong opinions? Maybe.
1: Right or that strong opinions are bad? Right. Um which is is interesting, right? Like all of those things that you've kind of set up make it sound like that's the ideal, right? And you know i was thinking about strangely this this also i think in some ways inspired that post in particular uh in quebec they've recently passed um a law that bans uh religious apparel right. in certain government roles and in certain public just public service roles um they just don't want anybody who represents the government to have any visual obvious religious garb <laughs> whatever yeah whatever that may be. And I just, I was thinking about that, how funny that is. It's the myth of, of a secular society. It's like, oh, because they're not wearing X, Y, and Z means that they're not Christian or Muslim or, or whatever. Right. So it just, it struck me as such a funny thing to think that we, by, by not doing those things that were, you know, a theological or a uh irreligious or whatever that might be but by trading secularism for christianity or or secularism for islam or whatever that is we are adapting to another theological lens or um or ideology and i just think that's hilarious that we think that it is, it is becoming neutral in some way. Right. There is no neutral ground. There's no. It doesn't exist, man. There's no neutral ground.
0: That's 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 right. And I think that that's why it, in in lack of intentionality mm-hmm. terrifies me because because of the the trap of assuming there is neutral ground, of thinking, well, I'm a good person. Well, I love Jesus. Some of that's going to come through. Of course, some of that's going to yes. come through. No question. Totally, yeah. But but there's all these other things, right? Like 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 what we, like politics and, and whatever and the kind of food we eat and how we relate to our possessions and mm. how daddy freaks out when someone drops a mug and it smashes on the floor. And so <laughs> years later, I discover that my son is super sensitive about possessions because one time dad yelled when something got broken <laughs> and it's like, and I see my son crying. He's like, this was like $5 and he's crying. And I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. I've made some money comment at some mm-hmm. point
1: that's like mm-hmm. gone in deep. Yep,
0: and now it's he's got this whole money psychology. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, intentionality <laughs> and, and yeah. choosing choosing what we're raising our kids in. I, I get the kind of ex evangelical and the deconstruction communities wrestling and yes. f- and fear of like I don't want to be feeding some of the garbage that I
1: had to eat. Totally, yes, yes, and you don't have to, right? Like, and I think this is the thing where. Um, you know, I I think that a lot of the evangelical community stru- has struggled with. Obviously, I mean, there's been some toxic stuff that has happened within evangelicalism, and we we must repent of that, and we must confess it, and we must own it to say, yeah, this this stuff has happened, um, and it's quite frankly still happening in a lot of spheres, and that is horrible, and that is not Christ-like, and that is that is just, uh, um, I mean, it's it's it has such dire consequences and we've seen them lived out and so when i hear the evangelical community speak i'm like yeah like that is painful and there is real genuine pain there um but god (laughs) but god is still good and god is still at work and god is doing some really incredible things and i do I, i do believe i do hope that through the Evangelical community, you know, God is still honored in some really cool ways, and I, I think He can be, and I think He is, um, but I think with our kids, uh, this may sound way too overly simplistic, but to really just bring in the focus on Jesus in all that we do with our kids. Um in my, in my book I talk about this idea of Jesus centered parenting and what that is is taking things through the lens of Jesus. Um and and I and I realized you go oh, okay well what Jesus well Let's just talk even about the Jesus of the Sermon on the Mount, okay? If we look at that Jesus, we look at Matthew 5 to 7 Jesus, you know? What are some of the ideas, the ethics, um, the centering in on love that he shows and exemplifies in that? How do we do that then in our parenting? Mm -hmm. Um, That looks like teaching our kids what enemy love looks like when it's hard. Um, Each morning I pray with my daughter— um, and I pray that God would help her to be kind even when it's hard. Mm-hmm. And I realize that, um, can sound a little bit pushovery, but, um, realistically, I want her to show love even when it's hard and to, and to do the hard work of loving well. Um, does that mean that she won't stand up for injustice? No. Actually, my uh, my kid is wired for justice orientation. Uh, she's like, I'm gonna, you know, stand in the gap for, you know, the 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 weak and and the marginalized. And um, but that's been an interesting conversation piece because uh, I was watching, she was at the playground with some friends and I was standing off on the side, talking to a parent. And I watched as my daughter was trying to stand up for this one kid, um, who was a little bit smaller. Um, and there was this big kid and, uh, and, and he was giving them a bit of a hard time. And and she, she was so funny. My daughter is this little, you know, she's fairly tall, but she's kind of a a stick figure kid. And she starts to pretend karate chop. And, and, uh, he kind of backed off or whatever, but then he came back and her impulse was to kind of stand in between the big kid and, and the kid that was being, um, harassed. And, I was proud of her for being willing to stand in the gap, stand in between, right? Um, now we strongly advocate for a nonviolent resolution. We're working on that in our family with the karate chops, taking them out of there. Um, but we talked afterwards. Uh, it, sorry, that whole situation ended with her coming over to get a grown-up. And we were kind of, this parent and I were kind of waiting and watching to see if the kids could resolve this on their own or whatever. But they ended up getting a grown-up, which is, was good. They they kind of went through the process well themselves and, and learned. And we stayed out of it as, as parents until we were um, sought after because it was needed. And it was a good situation. And, but it led to a great conversation in the car ride later. And I said to my daughter, like, you know, you know, instead of the karate chopping, what, what could you have done to not use any type of, of hitting or violence? And she was like, Oh, that's hard. (laughs) It is hard and it takes creativity. Um, and I said, what if you had just stood in between and turn your back to the boy and started talking to the the, the little girl. And she's like, oh, yep, yeah, I yeah, could have done that. Like, so, it, you know, it, the intentionality there isn't necessarily in the moment. It's letting kids be kids and live in their experience and learn from that experience. But then it's actually taking the intention of debriefing that experience and yeah. even asking the question, what do you think jesus would have done if he was in your shoes in that situation you know uh, having some of that intentionality wrapped into it because jesus was for the weak and he was for the marginalized and he was for the people who would have gotten bullied on the playground but jesus was also for the bullies jesus you know still loved the jerks of society right <laughs> Um, he loved the Zacchaeuses and the, the Levi's and, you know, like he, he, he loved all of these people. Um, and so what does it look like for us to help our kids learn what it looks like to love others? Well, in a very comp- complex society, nothing is easy for our kids. Um, in their online or offline life, right? We're, we're discipling in a very unique age and and, in time of, of life. Um, and I think that unfortunately we need to kick it up a notch as parents. Mm. Um, I realize that parenting is exhausting and I only have one kid, um, and parenting is exhausting, you know, multiply that. Um, and it gets more exhausting. However, (laughs) I think that our kids are worth the extra energy, effort, and exhaustion to to disciple them well.
0: Yeah, that's so good. I spent 10 years outside of the institutional church kind of deconstructing and rebuilding and trying to figure out who I was, who God was, all that. Mm-hmm. And in the midst of that, I had kids. Mm. And so, you know, at the, at a young age, it's no big deal. But as they start getting older and engaging with life, I'm already thinking... Oh man, I can remember the things I was doing mm. in terms of Christian life at this age. Mm-hmm. I don't just mean like going to church, but you know, mm. having a spirituality of my own and and engaging yep. with God, uh mm-hmm. praying and and feeling promptings from outside of myself. Yeah. You know, I, I met with one of my mentors this is maybe 4 or 5 years ago now and and he said to me, "Jonathan, I have no concerns about your faith. I think you're on a wonderful spiritual path." But your children don't see a lot of what I get to see. I'm an adult. I know what to look for. Yes. I can, I, I, you, you'll you share your journal with me sometimes. I know that you are wrestling right? and honestly pursuing God. Mm-hmm. But your kids don't see all those things. Yes, uh, And, you know, he's like, just even statistically speaking, if you're not involved in some kind of you know, it doesn't have to be Sunday morning church, but if you're not involved in some kind of real lived ecclesia,
1: uh-huh.
0: uh, your children are very likely to not have any kind of faith life. And your uh-huh. grandchildren are statistically zero percent to have wow. any kind of faith. Wow. So he's like, find something you don't hate
1: and yeah. <laughs> start there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you would join a baseball team if you wanted to play baseball, right? Like you, yeah. you just would. And if there was a couple of jerks on the team, you'd be like, all right, there's a couple of jerks on the team. So be it. And I realize that that is like a super simplified thing. But I think finding a church can be very similar, right? It's like you, you go to church because you want to be part of the body of Christ in this way that is very visibly here and you know present and now. And are, are there going to be a couple of jerks on the team? Of course there are. You know, sometimes I'm one of them, sorry, uh, but, but I think that's very true. And, and when it comes to, I like what you said in regards to your mentor, because I think one of the things is that, um, the spiritual practices that we do, um, that we do on our own, that we, um, you know, like, uh, and feel, uh, affinity for, um, if our kids don't know that we do those things, I think that's actually really problematic because if they're transformative or um, influencing our lives in some way, and we've hidden that from our kids, I think we've hidden some, some gold from our kids. Like we've hidden something so beautiful. Um, I think about, there's a, um, a friend of a friend I know who, even when her kids were super, super little, she would do like a quiet time with God. And I remember uh, the friend asking her how, Did you do a quiet time with God when you've got, you know, toddlers going nuts in your living room? And she was like, well, I taught my kids that when mommy lit this candle, she had a special candle um, and opened her Bible, that that was mommy's special time with God. And the kids totally respected it. She Mm -hmm. would do like, I can't remember what it was, 20 minutes or half an hour or something. But A, she got to spend her quiet time with God and B, her kids got to see it. Mm -hmm. And I think that is so brilliant. Jonathan I'm going to turn the tables for a quick second and ask you a question yes you're when you were in that zone of being outside of the kind of the traditional church uh context and you had young kids what were the kinds of things that you guys did naturally with them that were spiritual practices were there things that you just did because it felt like this is a thing I just do it was there anything like that 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 comes to mind for you. I realize I'm just putting you on the spot. Yeah,
0: for sure there was. Yeah. And, and there were different seasons because we lived in different, in some different places during that time. And that had Mm -hmm. an impact on things. So first of all, uh, you know, we, we would pray with our kids. We would, um, you know, we have a very, a very vibrant, integrated expectation of God being involved in our life. And so if someone was hurt, we would Wait. pray for them. We would also pursue Make medicine it. and Band-Aids and of aspirin, but we would also pray. <laughs> yes. And, you know, uh, we would for extended family and friends and those who were unwell or sad or whatever the circumstances was. So there was there was that um, we uh, we when we lived in Finland, we had quite a vibrant group of people who were all kind of on the same stage. Mm. And so we met in one another's homes for kind of whatever, and all kinds of interesting things would happen.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, sometimes it would be looking through scripture. Sometimes it would be some really awkward living room worship. Sometimes, you know, someone's just sharing something. And the kids were all in the midst of that. And they got to see kind of organically Mm -hmm. some kind of lived spirituality, which... it's brilliant. Yeah. And, and in many ways, that for me was kind of like, I was like, yes, this is, mm-hmm. this feels wonderful. At the what felt like the pinnacle of that time in our lives, we felt God prompting us to move back to Toronto. Uh, so <laughs> when we did, we were kind of plunked back into a world that was quite focused on Sunday mornings. And all, all of our friends were in that space. Mm-hmm. And we were kind of like, uh, and there was transport. And we didn't have yep. a vehicle, and but all these logistical realities. But they, but they did contrive to essentially wiping out most of those organic displays, other than it's mm-hmm. bedtime. Let's pray.
1: Right. Interesting.
0: And so I think it was into that vo- void, shall we say? Yeah. That um, that 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 comment was made.
1: Mm. Um,
0: but that led us down this interesting road where where we got plugged into this. Well, I would I shouldn't even say plugged in because that implies. greater involvement than we had we turned up at this baptist church uh which was like a a two-minute walk from our apartment and that was why it was literally just uh locality we're like hey we'll go there and it was really different to my kind of charismatic default Mm. but uh my kids loved it and it was it was a journey for me to fall in love with some of the basics
1: Mm-hmm. To be like
0: you know what, none of the externalities here comfort me or soothe me, and maybe my comfort and soothing is not what church is about. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh deep What a strange burn. place. <laughs> <laughs> right, right.
1: Dang.
0: So you know that we we stayed there for a year, and then we moved to Guelph. Mm-hmm. And when we came out to Guelph, we ended up at a church that our friends had well friends of sister's friend planted and we turned up there on our second sunday and just immediately felt like the holy spirit say here's your home oh. here are people to learn to love mm-hmm. and here are children for you to take care of oh so good. my wife and i had met doing kids ministry as volunteers like in our teens mm-hmm. and so we'd done that for years but when we got married we just kind of stopped it all hmm. we, we needed to create some time for us and learn some new things and but i was kind of like whoa This is surprising. Who's talking to me right now? (laughs) But six months later, they put us in as the kids pastors. And that's almost three.
1: Awesome. And it's like,
0: huh, Mm -hmm. this is a strange convoluted journey that I did not anticipate.
1: But now you get to build into kids that you can kind of, I see it as like you can filter off some of the 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 gunk that um got passed on to us uh, your listeners clearly can't see that i'm dusting off my shoulders uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh she is she is
0: dusting off her I'm shoulders can, i can I'm confirm dusting it off
1: my shoulders uh to show that you're clearing off the gunk you're, you're you can provide some of that filter and can continually just be pointing these kids to jesus and i think I think some of the things that we muck up on or or get a little bit convoluted when we're discipling kids is that we're always trying to wrap – I mean, this is one of many thoughts I have, but I think we're always trying to wrap um, Old Testament stories in particular. We're trying to wrap them into a great moral lesson. We we really got it. It's like you can't tell the story without wrapping up the morality lesson or else – What's the point? But the point is Nightmares. This-
0: just giving kids nightmares. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Um uh <laughs> um I mean jail in the tent peg is like my recurrent nightmare. Uh
0: just never fall just- asleep in a tent.
1: Right. <laughs> I, can't, I can't go camping anymore. Um <laughs> But you know, the reality there is that um The story is the point in that context. We're getting the story of Israel. And for young kids, it is good for them to learn that repertoire of story. I think that is really, really good for them to to know the Old Testament stories, to know the narrative, to start to get a glimpse of the idea that this is all moving towards Jesus
0: Well, it's time for our sponsorship break. Thank you so much for listening in so far. Don't you love Natalie? Isn't she wonderful? Friends, all of this podcast is made possible by my Patreon supporters. It is many hours of work every week, uh, reading materials, researching, interviewing people, uh, slicing and editing up those interviews so they sound clean and simple and to the point. And, uh, this is my full-time job along with, with writing. And then the kids pastor work that I do is all volunteer. So I'm super thankful for all of you who've joined me on Patreon, who support me every month. You guys honestly mean the world to me. I want to shout out to Grace and Niall and to Jillian and to Daniel, who've all come on in the last week since the last podcast. Thank you so much. And of course, as promised, it's time to draw a name for these Max Lucato books. So let me pull up my name drawing machine. All right. I have pasted in the emails from everyone who entered the draw and I'm going to hit the draw button. (laughs) Sorry, guys. My brain is foggy. And the winner is Princess Bride 5795. Congratulations. I will be dropping you an email uh, and then uh, get your details and we'll get some exciting uh, Max Lucado books out to you and my friends. Once again, this week, we have another giveaway. I am going to be hanging out with Natalie in about a week and a half at her book launch party, and she has agreed to sign a copy for uh, one of you. So head to jonathanpuddle.com giveaway, and you can enter the draw to win uh, Natalie Frisk's book, Raising Disciples, and it will hopefully, if all goes to a plan, be signed with your name in it. So, that's exciting. Let's get back to the show.
1: Um, but getting them to really be focusing their eyes on Jesus. Um, you know, Paul writes that it's in in Christ all the fullness of the deity is revealed to us, right? Like it's when we look at Jesus, we see God. And so if Jesus is the clearest picture of what we have of what God looks like, I'm going to point kids to that every single time. Um, And so as we're raising um, our daughter, even from a really young age, um, I would chuckle at um, my own kind of jumbled theology within, you know, things. So she one time in JK told her little Buddhist friend that Jesus created the whole world. And her little Buddhist friend looks at her and she goes, I did not know that. And, you know, it's funny because previously I would, I would have been like, no, 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 I've got to correct her that it was, you know, the, the, the God had kind of created the world, but you know, but you know, Jesus is God, God created the world. Okay. She's four. Like, we're going to let that one go. You know, it's it's true enough. (laughs) It is. And like, like, why would I split hers over that? Like in her mind, she knows that Jesus is God. that is, that is, at four, that is like, <laughs> all right. Um, you know, um, her telling her little Buddhist friend that, that Jesus created the world and me not getting a phone call from that kid's parents, also a win, right? Sweet. Like, <laughs> there's a lot of good things happening there. Um, but to, you know, kind of let go of the, it always has to be, I have to just correct and adjust and clarify her you know, theological concepts from a really early age. It's like, no, you know what, no, what I need to do. I need to point her towards Jesus and teach her to love God and love others. And, and that's what I'm going to do repeatedly. And that's what I'm going to get nitpicky about. If there's anything to get nitpicky about, it's like, um, was that a loving action? No, that wasn't a loving action. Is it a good, you know, is it a good idea to not do loving actions? No. Because it hurts you and it hurts others, right? Yes, right. Like um, it's just kind of circling back on those things often, and I and I do think that I feel like a broken uh, tape recorder. <laughs> <a> tape recorder. <laughs> what year was I born? You tried in? to
0: say you tried to you tried to move on from broken record because people won't I, know what that means, and then I, you said broken tape recorder
1: and outed I, yourself. <laughs> to the I'm a child of the '80s, man. What can I say? <laughs> but. Um, Broken tape recorder, you keep saying certain things over and over again. And, you know, I can look back at my childhood and go, oh, my mom used to always say, right? Yeah. If the thing that my kid says when she's older is, oh, my mom used to always say, you know, love God and love others, or whatever that phrase is, right? It's like, oh man, what a horrible mother I was. Like, it's, it's you know, like, okay, like I'll, I'll, I'll own that. Um, so I, I think it's just kind of reoriented ourselves towards Jesus each day so that we can help orient our kids towards Jesus each day. I think that's discipleship as parents.
0: You've said two or three things there that, that challenged me and I'm very glad for it. Um, I, I have this temptation in between the dusting off and the let's protect these kids from baggage and the, Let's just keep pushing them back to Jesus and not sweat stuff and relax and not be nitpicky.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm living in that tension space as a kid's pastor and as a parent and and it's tiresome, right? It's, like, frustrating. And I, most of the curriculum that comes across my table is, I'm like, garbage, 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 garbage. I don't want to read this. I don't want to teach that Cain was the bad one and Abel was the good one. Like, mm-hmm. these derivative Bible stories that end up teaching weird theology. So, I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. So, right now, I'm working on on my own curriculum. Um, but it's, like, and, and it's kind of like... Yeah, okay. Can we focus on Jesus? And so we've done we've done a lot of that. Mhm. Uh and we continue in that. Uh sorry, that's not my point. The point what you said that challenged me in this is like they're going to need therapy as much as we did. And it's like we can we are making a course correction like we yes. are we yes. we will un- unless somehow we have learned nothing from the generations before us right and we screw up the intentionality that's offered to us today mm-hmm. um i mean i i've got a i've got a, a manuscript that i'm pitching right now and there's a there's a chapter on discipline mm. and i'm asking the reader to to think of the way god's disciplined us in our life and to apply a nonviolent non-punitive mm uh i'm going to pay the price myself mm. discipline so mm-hmm. practically with my children that looks like time in
1: mm-hmm. uh
0: if i can send you to your room and it doesn't cost me anything i'm suspicious that it's not going to have the goal that i think it might
1: mm.
0: and 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 in there i i said you know cuz cuz as soon as i start talking about not spanking all kinds of people are like well i was spanked and i turned out fine and so it's kind of like, really, did any single one of us turn out fine? Can you objectively say that, you know, a single fine person?
1: Right. No. right. <laughs> We've all got our stuff.
0: <laughs> We're yeah. super broken and super messed up. Yeah. But some, when you said that our kids have to wrestle too, mm-hmm. I think some there's a key there, certainly for me personally. That's like, okay, obviously, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing and keep pushing mm-hmm. the kids to Jesus and keep mm-hmm. learning with a, a compassionate... Nonviolent, uh-huh. uh spirit-empowered, all, all my particular values. But understanding that I can only go so far and they're going to have to wrestle themselves. And that's actually not yes. my failing. That's actually, like, God's going to do, like, they're going to have to do that.
1: Yeah. yeah, what we're equipping our kids to do is to wrestle with their faith. Like, like we've got to equip our kids to wrestle with their faith because <laughs> the only thing that's actually... Can't I just give them a perfect faith? No, and that's. I think that's part of our problem, right? Mm. We want, and I think this is every generation with their different things has been. We want our kids to have it easier than we had it, right? Mm, Yes. Like, like my dad worked at a chemical plant for thirty-eight years, whatever it was. Every day, same job, same hours, same everything. Worked really hard so that we could go to university and have it easier than he had it right Right. and like so in it's like the it is the spiritual sense of that we don't want our kids to have to struggle the way we've had to struggle Mm, wow however (laughs) and i think this is actually really important the thing is is that when it comes to um like our actual development throughout our, our lives as, as kids into teenage years, specifically later teenage years, within a, a development cycle, in order to truly make a belief, a faith, um, an I- ideology, whatever that is, your own you have to wrestle with it in order to make it your own or else it is simply the faith of your parents handed down to you. And so I think it's super important that we teach our kids to wrestle well. And I mean that in a completely (laughs) nonviolent metaphorical way, but um, I mean what it, the name Israel meant struggle, right? Like there's something really beautiful about us taking our doubt and taking our faith and letting them wrestle <laughs> and inviting the Holy Spirit into that. And knowing that the Holy Spirit is at work. And here's the thing, the Holy Spirit that work with our kids too. Yeah. I think we like forget about that as parents, especially like we want to like initiate things. We want to help shape things. We want to do all, you know, get all the things right. But like, we really need to, pray (laughs) and trust that the spirit's at work. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that the spirit's at work with kids in ways that we can't even fathom. Like, um, as an aside, I just, um, I'm a semester into doing, um, a, a doctoral, um, program in, um, practical theology. And I'm looking at the spiritual experience of kids. Come on. Yeah. Right. Right. So good. Mostly just because I I wanted to deep dive into this. And so I thought, how can I best deep dive into it? Oh, I might as well do a doctoral degree, said no one ever. (laughs) Uh, And so and so I have started really deep diving into trying to consider and I don't even know if it's possible. So this may be like a completely null and void attempt. But to, to get to the level of kids to kind of see from their angle um, who God is and how God works in them because yeah. um, I do. And, I mean, I, I, I know I'm preaching to the choir when it comes to you, Jonathan, and probably to a number of your listeners who are in the kid ministry world. We see, we see God at work in kids in ways that, like, would blow adults out of the water. Oh, for sure. Like some of we the- get result- Yeah, exactly.
0: Things that happened with us on a Sunday, pastors would live. It would pastor a hundred churches to see one time.
1: <laughs> right, and I mean, I mean the insightfulness, the wisdom, the curiosity, the curiosity of kids. I think is spirit led. Like, um, like the the questions that kids ask sometimes. I honestly have so many times been like, I would never ever. In a million years, have thought to ask that question. Mm. So I'm so thankful you asked it, but I have no answer. Yes. <laughs> like there's it, like it some brilliant stuff and things that we can't even imagine in moments that we can't even imagine. Uh, I was talking to my aunt about uh, doing this um doctoral program and she was telling me she was just like oh man you talk about spirituality of kids um she told me this story about my one cousin when he was quite young like three years old um right into the back seat of their car and my uncle was driving in the front seat and my uncle was really really struggling with his faith and i can't remember exactly what the words were that my cousin spoke but he was like, I'm not kidding you. He's three years old car seat. Um, he also used to speak with a little bit of a a speech impediment where his R's, um, were, were kind of, were kind of tricky, which made it all the more cuter when he spoke. Um, but he spoke like this prophetic word to his dad at three years old. And it was something along the lines of like, dad, God just spoke to me and said, um, you know, he's all loving and good and whatever it was. Right. but, through the little voice of a three-year-old child when his father is deeply wrestling with his faith. Mm. And, and I think that can be some great encouragement to us too, for those uh, of your listeners who are in the deconstruction mode, like invite the freedom of the spirit into that and know that the spirits that work with our kids and can speak through them and work through them in ways that we can, can n- never predict but um, only see in the after uh, effects of it. I think oh, God is so cool.
0: Uh, it's so good. I feel like you know, we we teach the one of the basics that we started with the kids is is how to hear God's voice, which which we mm. teach is pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. Uh, just what does it sound like, and, and not not audio, but like what is the character of of what you've heard? Is it uh, destructive? Because mm-hmm. uh, the thief comes to lie, steal, kill, destroy. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it maybe self-deprecating or kind of like self-conscious uh, or is it self-sacrificial, loving, kind, serving others? It's pretty easy to identify the voice of God.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And when these kids are like not been taught that their rational brain is the only part of them that's useful, <laughs> then then they can intuit that stuff often much easier than we can. Mm-hmm. Um so we we try to have a, a journaling, or including drawing and just kind of listening prayer time with our kids every Sunday, with the at church every Sunday, and so for some age it's paper and crayons on the floor, and for the older kids it's they've got little journals that they that they write in. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I can of course never get my son to sh- my eldest son to share anything publicly, but he gets stuff. But the other kids, especially the younger ones. Like oh yeah, I got this picture of my dad, and he's like uh, standing alone in the rain, and Jesus has just come beside him and put up an umbrella. Oh, and I'm just like, I know your dad, and I know how much he needs to hear that.
1: Oh, it's beautiful. You know, and
0: this little five year old drawing of umbrella and Jesus and his dad.
1: Right. Oh. (sighs) So
0: yeah, I'm glad you said that. Like, Mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit's at work. (laughs) Mm Hmm. Uh so when's your book coming out? Where can we learn about it? It's
1: that? coming out. The release date is September 17th. Um but Exciting. it's for I always feel I I don't know why. I'm getting used this whole book thing is new to me, so I'm like the whole self-promotion, all these things are weird to me still. Um but uh anyway, it's it's for pre-sale right now on um on Amazon. And uh please go and pre-order it because that would be really great. And I actually just think, okay, now not to like, you know, over amplify my book in any way, shape, or form, but um, I feel like uh, the first half of the book kind of sets up kind of all of the things that I think about when it comes to Jesus-centered parenting and all those things. The second half of the book is very practical. Um, it literally goes through each age and stage and offers different ideas for ways that parents can spiritually engage with their kids.
0: So
1: good. Um, and I just think. That it's one of those things that could be a great like, hey, you're having a baby. Here's a gift. Mm-hmm. Um, I joked that I, I kind of want this book to be the um, what to expect when you're expecting, you know, the spiritual edition. <laughs> like like, I feel like I feel like nine different people bought me what to expect when you're expecting when I was expecting my daughter, um, which it was lovely, you know, very practical about um, the physical things that she needed. Um, and I want this book to be very practical about the spiritual things that our kids need and ways that we can offer them Jesus right from uh, literally right from their getting shot into the womb kind of a thing. So that's so good. And what's it called once again, the book? It is called Raising Disciples, How to Make Faith Matter um, to Our Kids.
0: By Natalie Frisk.
1: By Natalie Frisk.
0: Go and grab me. Go and grab that on Amazon. And anywhere else people can connect with you or find you online?
1: You know what? Uh, I, as you had mentioned, actually, we met on Twitter. So if if anybody's still on Twitter besides you, me, and Donald Trump, they can <laughs> uh, connect with me there. I'm Natalie Frisk on Twitter. Um and you can check out actually, um, the curriculum that we do. Uh, yes. it's readily available at curriculum.church. Um, and you can actually even click on, there's a, a blog that connects with that, that you can find on curriculum.church and the blog, um, oftentimes will have, um, articles for parents about a number of different things. So all of those places and spaces.
0: Yeah, I, I had all these questions written down to us, Natalie, about the curriculum, but we didn't get to those because we talked about other things, which is fine, and how these things are meant to go. But the Meeting House gives away like all their curriculum. So if you are uh, struggling, especially looking for a Jesus-centric curriculum, because that's that's really their big thing. Um, okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's great. There's videos and there's lesson plans. There's all kinds of stuff. We initially turned it down because we only saw the videos and we're like, videos don't work in our context. Right. But then just this morning, actually, as I was prepping, I was like, I need to check this out again. And I was like, oh, yeah, there's actually a lot more here than just the videos. So if videos don't work in your context, there's more yeah. than videos. And if videos yeah. are your thing.
1: Also. Then yes. that's
0: there too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> Natalie, would you would you pray for us to capture that Jesus-centric thing in our parenting?
1: I would love it. I would love it so much. Um maybe I'll just say this before I pray. Um I think one of the really important things that we can do as parents is see the spiritual journey of our kids at least as important as our own spiritual journey and I would argue if not more. Um and so yeah. That's just a parting shot, and I'll, and I'll pray. <laughs> so good. Um, Father God, thank you so much for this uh, time together. Uh, thank you for the heart and the desire of um, Jonathan and uh, his listeners alike to see kids come to know and love Jesus in um, incredible ways. God, we know that throughout every generation we have screwed up. Um, We know that um, the church has always um, done things that aren't in line with your character. And God, for those things, those times that we've been a part of that, God, we repent. Um, God, we also pray that you would give us a fresh vision of what can be um, and who we are meant to be in that process. And God, as we do that, I pray that we would um, genuinely Um, And wholeheartedly look with intention to our kids and the ways in which they're being spiritually developed and spiritually nourished. And that um, in what we say and what we do, that we would genuinely, authentically be pointing them to Jesus. Um, God, I pray that um, our own spiritual lives would be so um, vibrant, that we would just exude the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that is a gift of your spirit. Um, And that as we do that, our kids would catch that spiritual excitement of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and know that um, they may sacrifice some things in this world, but that the sacrifice is so worth it. And so Father God, I just pray that Um, we would do these things well in our homes, in our communities, in our everyday lives, um, that we would be uh, truly and genuinely raising disciples who are followers of Jesus, lovers of you. I pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. That
0: was Natalie Frisk. How good is she, eh? Come on, I love it. So hey, check the show notes for links to her book to pre-order and go to jonathanpuddle.com slash giveaway to enter the draw to win a copy of her book and also head to patreon.com slash jonathanpuddle if you would like to join my growing group of supporters. I'm at 43 patrons right now and I'm working towards a goal of 300 and I'm thankful for each and every one of you. So uh, hopefully we will see you next week.